We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Carney on May 23rd, 1980. It was written by Phoebe and Robert Kaler, Robbie Robertson, and Thomas Baum, directed by Robert Kaler, and released by United Artists. Director Robert Kaler originally wanted a much smaller film starring Harvey Keitel and Robert Mitchum, and apparently Harvey was at one point attached, but obviously that didn't go through. Which character, do we know which character? Um, I would guess that Harvey Keitel would have been the Gary Busey. That's where I would put him. I, yeah. I could totally see him playing that character. Yeah. And the Robert, and Robert Mitchum, Mitchum would be the McMillan guy running the... Oh, really? I would, I would have thought Mitchum would have been the Patch character. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Co-screenwriter and star Robbie Robertson spent some of his teenage years working, uh, traveling in the carnival circuit. Um, that's as much background as I could find on this one. We start the film with Gary Busey as Frankie applying clown makeup in a tent as yeah. creepy carnival music plays. Yeah, I, I thought that this movie was going to go a completely different direction. Like a Gacy movie? You mean Gacy, right? Not Gacy movie, right? <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it, it seemed like you had a longer pause between Gacy. The only gay C movie I can think of is is Boat Trip with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Horatio Sands. Was one of them gay? No, but the whole they, cruise was. They were oh. pretending to be gay on a cruise. And then they Got fell it. in love with a woman. And then it was like a three to tango situation. I think Roger Moore was in that movie as well. Was he? Like he he was aware, but just like being friendly with him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> How do we get on to this subject? <laughs> gay C, this is your fault. We get a quick carnival montage. We see the zipper ride. Which I've been on many times, and it hucks all of the change out of your pockets full speed into the crowd. It's pretty wonderful. <laughs> Which one? The zipper. The zipper. Yeah. Oh, that was. That it's a was terrible my, ride. My sister and I. Oh no, we loved that ride. I did too until I was old enough to have change in my pockets, and then I hated it because it would just rattle around in the cage with me and smack me in the face, and then eventually fly through the cracks. And we used to. My sister and I used to like grab on the bar and like hurl ourselves back and forth to get the thing to flip and you know while it was turning all the way around i distinctly remember the last time i went on one of those because i was just slamming my head into the fence in front of me the whole time and mikey was with me and he wasn't big enough to to push that far on the bar but he was just the whole time like are you okay are you okay (laughs) and then when we got out he was like we don't have to go on that one again i was like yeah i'm not gonna get zipper was my second favorite ride the first favorite ride was the Gravitron? Gravitron. Yeah. yeah. I would always flip myself upside down when I was, it was too spinning, chicken to stand up. And then I would be upside down when the thing stopped and that was that was difficult to deal yeah. with. Mm. And that's why you're in that coma for a while. <laughs> I was always a Tilter World guy. Well, that's just that's Joe Dante's fault, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that explorer's ride? Yeah. There's a guy doing a trick where he swallows objects. Uh, that seemed to be volunteered from the crowd. Right now he's swallowing a watch, which he's just dropping behind his face um, away from camera, I think. Okay. It doesn't look like he's actually swallowing it here. But then uh, he sees Patch in the crowd, and he says, $100 for anybody who finds something that I can't swallow. And he walks up to the front of the crowd and gives him a straight razor. And he's like, all right, fine, here's 100 bucks." And then he shows the crowd the straight razor because he's trying to show, oh, it's a legitimate game. Like. Mm-hmm. He could have brought this up, but he brought it up, so he wins. He, continuing to walk through the the midway, he finds a game where you guess the state that's going to light up, and then he spins a wheel, and uh, he gets it right because the game is rigged, and uh, they want to show people that the game isn't rigged and that people can win, but they don't know that he works there. Frankie, as uh, this Bozo the Clown character, is in a, a dunk tank harassing carnival goers. Donna and her date show up. And uh, her date is immediately calling out some of the games on the midway as being rigged. And, and he's trying to be like macho about it. Like he's like he's protecting her from some sort of danger or right. he's too smart for these guys. Right. But he walks up to the pick a state game, which to be clear, there are 50 states. So you have a 2% chance of winning. 
and he calls out the state that he wants and then when the guy spins the wheel he pushes a button under the counter and the guy's like whoa hold on why'd you have to push that button and he's like i didn't push any button what are you talking about and then he starts shouting at him and so he's like fine we'll just roll it again you only have a two percent chance of winning anyway yeah and he loses the game and he's like yeah see you should have just should have just lost it the first time patch walks with frankie from the dunk tank to his trailer and he's coughing he's hidden under a blanket because they don't want him to get insult assaulted by the people who he's been making fun of yeah because uh donna's date uh mickey was being especially harassed yes her boyfriend actually after this volunteers for like a strip show mm-hmm. like they're taking a volunteer from the crowd yeah and they call him up for it so he leaves her outside while he goes to this stripping show and uh, she walks up to one of the games and out of his makeup now, Frankie sees her standing there and she's sort of getting bothered by this older gentleman mm-hmm. who uh, isn't making a lot of sense when he talks to her. It seems like he's demanding information from her. Yeah. But then Frankie walks up and he calls the guy dad. I don't think it's his actual father, but I think it's like. Yeah. It, it, his, his credit is on the mark. Yeah. And I think they sometimes call him the mark. Yeah, yeah. They, they call him both of those things later in the film, mm-hmm. but I think I think that this was just maybe an affectionate term for yeah, an older guy. Exactly. Yeah. But uh right away he's coming to her defense by getting in between her and this this crazier old guy and uh he guesses her age and her birth month and her name correctly, which impresses her because this isn't like a psychic act. He just walks up and makes these observations. Uh the the age and birth month thing isn't as impressive as the name thing because she tells him in advance that her name starts with a d and that it's five letters long and then the old man leans in and says if i had all night i'd be an astronaut (laughs) (laughs) mickey comes back that's the boyfriend and he starts to pick a fight with frankie because he thinks that he's harassing his girlfriend fiance oh fiance right and uh then frankie kind of tries to defuse the situation for a while but the guy really wants to pick a fight so frankie switches into his like creepy bozo voice you want to mess with my lady you better be ready to mess with me buddy get up don't fuck with me get up mickey let's go i think we got us here a big iron and steel man she's gonna iron and he's gonna steal Uh oh (laughs) what happened to your belt buckle goofy (laughs) then spins around on the chair and it freaks the guy out and he's like what the hell and then suddenly patches there with the straight razor that he gave to the swallower and he's oh. holding it to mickey's neck it's holding it to his eye oh to his eye yeah it, it's like, like shian angelou stuff yeah yeah uh, i mean i know it's a prop at least i hope it's a prop yeah but uh it's still a very frightening donna is mad at her boyfriend for escalating this into a big fight when it didn't need to be it was just her talking with a guy but they walk back to the car and she's just pissed off at him frankie and patch find two random girls uh to take back to their trailer for the night and in the morning they're leaving as frankie and patch are having breakfast with each other but they seem to kind of know each other because he says i'll see you next season right like it, i guess this they're is like, regulars yeah they're regulars <laughs> and i kept thinking that this cough was going to be some kind of looming thing that he's like ill or that he's well, got a pneumonia from getting dunked all the time yeah but like that it, this is going to be like something where he's going to be like getting sicker throughout the movie uh, but this is the sickest that we will see him. Yeah, <laughs> pretty after much. This, yeah, it, it's all over. But it kind of comes back. It comes back around later. Does it? Maybe Gary Busey was actually sick on set. Because it never plays a part in the story, right? It, it does, later. Okay, I don't remember that. I, I don't remember that either. Well, we'll um, get there. Okay. Uh, Patch asks Frankie about his hairline because he worries that it's starting to recede as he ages. Uh, Frankie sees Donna outside. That's the the girl whose name starts with D that's five letters long. She came back to the park, I think looking for him specifically, but this time without her boyfriend. And uh, dad and a couple other carnies start harassing her until Frankie shows up. She asks him to explain some of his tricks, how he guessed her birthday and her name. And he says uh, her engagement ring had her birthstone on it and that he could tell by looking at her what her age was, but that he assumed that she would be turning 19 in december and her name he guessed because there's only about 12 d names that are five letters long and he's like memorizing girls names and letter count and everything they walk past the fat boys trailer which is a pretty small trailer for the fat boy um he must be filling more than half of this thing by himself but 
Um, Frankie makes a few jokes about him and how he never comes out because if he falls over, he can't get up on his own. As they're walking around uh, the carnival grounds, we see Fred Ward chasing a guy down. And uh, the guy goes to hide inside of a truck and slams the window shut. But right as he slams the window shut, Fred is able to put like a big piece of wood right through the window. Yeah, and just like prize the glass right out. Yeah. Apparently this guy was somehow connected to the mayor. and Fred and, Ward? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he says, we're going to get this place shut. Because like another person comes up, like an aide yes. comes up and says, we're going to shut this place down. And uh, the guy in the truck is trying to like say that, you know, hey, I didn't pull any scams. He actually le- lost the money legitimately. Yeah. But <laughs> Pat just keeps saying, shut your clam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much you lose? Uh, $200. That's crazy. Hey, hey, shut your clam. I didn't take him for his meals, honey. He blew it, man. You shut your clam. I'm telling you. Shut your clam, all right? He says it probably five times. <laughs> I was like, just shut your clam. It was like, I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever heard that one. I like but then uh, to prevent this from escalating out of control, they, they pay the guy, Fred Ward, his money. And then they even pay the, the guy from the mayor's office with a bunch of tickets for kids to come back to the carnival for free so that there's no trouble because they're only going to be in town for a couple days anyway. We cut directly to after sex between Frankie and Donna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this already happened. Yeah. She's in the, uh, the tent where he applies his makeup and he's putting it on here. And she's asking about how it sticks to his skin and everything. And he says the easiest way to take it off is with other skin. And then they kiss and he rubs his makeup all over her face. She's like, oh, I'm beautiful, just like you. (laughs) She says she wishes she could leave town because she feels like she's stuck here. She's a waitress and uh, she lives with her parents. And Frankie says, well, you know, we we go from town to town. Like, you're welcome to join us when when we go back on the road. And the next night we see her sneaking all of her stuff out in a suitcase to run away and join the circus. I guess this was like the last kind of decade where you could do that. Yeah. This is the last like running away and joining the circus decade. Uh, yeah, I, I guess this is in supposed In the to 90s, be. I feel like maybe you could run away and join the Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> Cirque du Soleil, maybe. Yeah. You'd have to be really talented. Actually, probably not. Yeah, I was going to say you had to be really talented. Yeah, there's a long waiting list. <laughs> yeah. The next day we have... Uh, what is the uh, the guy that runs the place? Heavy St. John. Heavy St. John. Uh, the next day we have Heavy St. John walking the uh, what will be the carnival grounds. And he's basically like drawing the map in his head of where each stand is going to go. They talk to him a little bit about how they have an, a friend that's going to be joining them on the next leg. And he says he wants to, they're going to talk about it later. He's worried that she's young. Yeah. And he convinces her, no, no she's she's old enough. But they also, they say something like, we confirmed that she's old enough and it's like did you confirm beyond just asking her how old mm-hmm. she was because i kept thinking the twist was going to be that she lied and that she was actually 17 going on 18 and they just assumed that his guess was correct and that that was going to be a problem later on like when yeah. they transported her across state lines but it never comes back yeah. that and and i think they're more concerned is anyone going to come looking for you right and and she says no yeah, when, when he asks her if anybody knows where she is, she says no. And that's that's actually the answer they wanted, was that nobody knew you were running away with the circus. It starts to rain on the carnival that night. Frankie's in the dunk tank, but there's basically nobody here at the carnival. So Patch is the one throwing the balls because he's just bored. Mm-hmm. And he sinks him, but the two of them joke about it. I don't really understand this game anyways. Like it's, there's You can't win anything aside from dunking the guy who's insulting you in yeah, the tank that's yeah, the whole it. point it probably makes the most money out of the whole carnival because you get angrier and angrier and you're like well i can't just walk away now the guy's making fun of me in front of everybody yeah but but the angrier you get too and the, the more you miss yeah i guess i mean i don't know if dunking him is really accomplishing anything yeah it's not really they just have to hope that they get it like every time they're throwing it but either way it's just playing off people's egos I feel like the dunk tank is more of a thing that you see at a charity like, event. Uh, exactly. Like it's like, like the principal right, in the chair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When people want to give up money to because it's funny to dunk this person. But like in this situation, like his whole job is to just make people angry yeah. in order to get them to pay money to try to get him dunked. And I guess it just takes a certain type of guy to, to react to that, but it just seems silly. I think it takes the kind of guy that goes to a small town carnival to react to that, especially if he brought a girlfriend along. Because all you have to do is make fun of him in front of his girlfriend, and then he has to prove something in front of her, and yeah. the only way he can do it is by buying balls and sinking you. I guess. 
Patch and Frankie return to their trailer where Donna has prepared some coffee and food and she's cleaned up a little. Patch is upset about it at first because some of his paperwork has been moved from sitting on a desk to like a shelf somewhere. So and, th- there's a line in here at some point where she says something about him, you know, like catching his death a cold or, or something like that. So she's, you know, acting all motherly. motherly or wifely, you know, and trying to take care of him in a way that he's not been taken care of before. So I think this is where it kind of comes in that it's like, hey, without you, he could be sick and dying, but she's coming okay. in to take care of him. And that's what that's what that whole thing was about. Okay. Um, and then uh, here, Patch basically like reprimands her for touching his stuff and says you know just leave my stuff out and she's like well i just wanted to clean up it was a little dirty and he's like that's fine i i like it dirty it's great just leave the stuff where it is please but the way he says it i felt like was the first indication that he might actually be in love with frankie and upset about her like interrupting their relationship well he's definitely regardless of how he feels about frankie he uh as far as romantically he is she is definitely interfering with his relationship with him yeah because usually it's just the two of them having fun and coming here and joking around at night yeah and and it's at this point that he's really starting to realize that what he thought was just going to be a fling that he she might stick around for a little while yeah and then she would get tired of frankie like everyone would uh but it's clear to him now that she's going to be sticking around for a little while longer right and he closes this door that can't be remotely soundproof to like have a private conversation with frankie about it like so what is this like your girlfriend now and it's like she obviously hears you saying this in this mm-hmm. other room but yeah he's he's upset about well, it. well he says she's our girlfriend right yeah which which leads me to wonder about what happens later but yeah while they're in the trailer here they notice outside that there are people i think having sex on the carousel mm-hmm. and this is a carny marriage yeah. Where these people have sex for one go around on the carousel and it means that they're married for a season. It's obviously not a legal binding marriage, but um, it's a way that people declare a relationship in this community. We have a party to celebrate the marriage and uh, Fat Man sings a song. Well, they call me, they call me the Fat Man Those are pounds cops interrupt the carnival one day to tell them that freak shows are illegal in the state and uh, they try to they're like oh well we can bribe you more and they're like well no it's a law and there's there's not much we can do about it and they said oh well we could get rid of the other two things that we're bothering to bribe you for and then you wouldn't get any money would you rather have that and the cops say look you can set up your shop and it's fine just don't employ any freaks here while you're in town and so Frankie's the one who has to break the news to the freaks that they uh, they just have to forego their paychecks for this leg of the trip. Well, Heavy St. John said he would carry them. Right. So like, he's, he's paying them for it, but they don't get to work for it. Yeah. Uh, Heavy St. John, it, it, like, I, I always, like, I kept couldn't figure him out. I thought he was going to be, like, the, the mean camp counselor or something like that. But I was like, actually, no, he really genuinely cares yeah. about all these people. He's coming to the wedding with... Like, he's the one, the nicest dressed person at the wedding, but it comes with a full bouquet of flowers for the bride. Yeah. Well, I always feel that way about these carnival movies is that it's like, as much as they're really mean, sometimes like brutal to the outside world, they are like very protective community and they're they're really very much in love with each other, that they just care about um, everyone's well-being and they care about each other first. Harry the Hat tries to set Patch up with a pair of twins who according to the credits are not related what they have different last names and they have different married well if they were married before this movie but i thought they were young to be married already i guess it's possible but in the credits of this movie they have two different last names so and they don't look exactly alike so i'm not sure frankie tells patch that he's on his own with the girls uh because patch was like oh this is sweet we've always talked about having sex with twins Mm -hmm. and he's like yeah but I have twin girlfriend. Twins. <laughs> but he's like, I have a girlfriend. She's right over there. Like, what am I supposed to do with my girlfriend? And uh, and he's like, okay, so I'm just supposed to have them by myself then? And then he's like, yeah, man, it's a, it's my gift to you. You can have the twins. Just just go and see them on your own. And he basically like walks away from that opportunity. Like he doesn't 
we don't see him flirting with the twins after that point. He sits at the table with them for a second, but yeah. Well, he 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 becomes more upset that on your mark is announcing his retirement. Right. He, he's going to ride with them to one more city, and that that's going to be it. He's retiring to Gibtown after fifty years on the job. Yeah, and and I think this is this kind of brings Patch's mood down. Yeah. Um, and that night he's hanging out in the trailer when he sees uh, it starts raining really hard and he looks out the window and he sees the fat man walk out into the middle of a field to shower in the rain. I thought there was going to be more to that scene, but mm. it was still interesting. Frankie, Patch, and Donna hit a trucker diner in the morning and they have like a trucker's only section of the diner. Yeah. That they sort of walk into because they are moving with large vehicles and uh and the truckers start calling them out like oh you guys aren't part of our crew and what are you doing here and and donna starts pitching insults right back at the rest of them right but she's also the first person to mention that they're with the carnival which i feel like they wouldn't have mentioned on their own right and that causes problems because well they actually lied when they went in they said they were truckers well i think conceivably you could call them truckers because they're moving in a caravan moving large equipment from city to city i guess i mean the guys the the truckers were heckling them saying like what company you work for yeah and they made up a company that's true yeah but it wasn't until donna admitted that they were with the carnival that people really started getting into them because they're like oh you're a bunch of freaks you got to get out of this town you freaks one guy like literally just walks up to the table and tells them they have to leave right now and uh, they decide to get into a big fight and basically completely destroy this diner in a matter of seconds. Yeah. They, like, take out a whole wall, the dividing wall between the trucker section and the and the normal people section of the, of the diner. Because we all know truckers aren't normal people. Have you met a trucker? Um, they probably listen to podcasts, huh? We love you guys. <laughs> and girls. They probably listen to a lot of podcasts. Be nice. <laughs> Patches tells Frankie to lose Donna. She's causing problems. And it was a fun fling for a while, but you got to end it because we're having real world complications because of it. And uh, Frankie basically tells her that, hey, we got to keep moving along and this isn't really working out. So maybe it's time for us to head our separate ways. And she basically says, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to leave. Maybe I'll join the circus and I'll, I'll be a part of this trip show or something. And he's like, would you really want to do that? She's like, well, yeah. And we'd have extra money coming in. And so she actually joins up with the dancers to to become a part of the strip show and they have uh st john comes in to like verify that everything's on the level Mm -hmm. and to tell her what her paycheck's going to be which one one of the strippers correctly predicts it's going to be 90 dollars a week which i got the impression is kind of a generous yeah offer for her because she's younger and and maybe more attractive than some of the other girls but she's also just gonna, she's only supposed to be a background dancer right but she also lies about having had experience yeah doing this but that's part of why she's going to be a background dancer is because he can tell that she doesn't have that experience and he's uh also because she looks young and he doesn't want to get shaken down by the cops patches as like kind of vengeance against her for not leaving when he wanted her to talks to the guy running the strip show and tells him to put donna on that she said she's experienced and she can run a show by herself so the guy agrees to do it and uh after the first like strip number when all the girls walk off stage he says all right now we're gonna have this next girl come on and he points at donna like all right it's your turn and she barely steps out on stage before the crowd is kind of going insane one of them is like jumps up on the stage already and uh well i think they were they were getting antsy from waiting yeah right but she had barely been standing out there for like five seconds before there was a guy already on stage because he was he was flirting pretty hard with the dancer before her too but then like everybody's going crazy and pushing and shoving through the tent and two guys like pick her up yeah they they pick her up some guy takes his shirt off yeah and and it's just like she's screaming all these people are manhandling her definitely escalated quickly yeah and these two guys like when they're like all right put this girl down instead of putting her down they just huck her off to the side of the stage and she like smacks her head hard enough to bust it open and she's bleeding from her temple on the side of her head and everybody's freaking out there's like alarms going off people are getting kicked out of the room and she doesn't throw patches under the bus when she has the opportunity to frankie comes in and he's like what happened and she's like oh i lied and said that i was more experienced and i was able to do the show and i just screwed it up and some people got upset about it 
he's like, oh, well, why, why'd you say that? Like, he's like trying to be comforting and, mm-hmm. and, and caring about what happened to her. But then after the show, Patches is like, you didn't have to lie for me. Like that wasn't, you didn't have to do that to protect me. And she's like, I wasn't trying to protect you. I didn't want to hurt Frankie's feelings to have him know that you screwed me over like that. And I get the impression that this is like the beginning of them becoming friends. Mm-hmm. Um, on the road to the next town, Donna, to try and entertain, Patch puts a bunch of shaving cream all over Frankie's face while he's asleep. And uh, the two of them share a laugh over that. Uh, when they get to the next town, there's a new guy in control of this territory. And uh, he runs, like, the massage parlors. and uh, He's other... like the local crime boss. Right. So he has <laughs> gambling and sex stuff that uh, he it's his territory. And they're like, well, yeah, that's fine. Like, we're not trying to take your territory. We're going to be here temporarily. And the way this works is we give you a cut of what we're doing so that there's not any problems. This is the way we've always done it. We paid the guy before you. And this guy says, okay, well, what are you going to pay me? And they offer him what they were offering the guy before, probably a little bit less, intending to bargain. And uh, he asks for way more than they're interested in paying him. And then they're like, okay, fine. Well, good luck enforcing it because we're not going to pay that much. We we can't even afford that much. It Mm -hmm. eats into our overhead. So they basically leave it at that. Um, We have this scene where Donna is flirting very hardcore with a girl and her friend. Yeah, the Greta, the, uh, so she works at a, I guess, a, I don't know what you call the, the game. It's like pull the string pull game. String. Yeah, I've never seen this carnival game before. Where you have like a whole bundle of strings and you have to pull one that's attached to a prize, but only some of them, like, I guess the, the, the trick is that most of them do not go anywhere. Right. And uh, even the ones that do are like buried. You have to know where they are. Right. And so she, you know, when they want someone to win, they can bring them out towards the front. But yeah, this the, the this pair of women, Greta, like says, "Hey, these two chicks are into you." Yeah. Like and lay it, it on. Donna like, is working in this booth now because of the attack at the strip show. They're right. like, "Okay, maybe you should be doing something else if you're going to work at this carnival." Well, Patch does. Pat, yeah. Pat, it's that's what's important. Pat, Patch feels guilty and gets her this job with Greta. Yeah. But uh, what I thought was funny that this, both of these women are just credited as lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, probably, okay. But <laughs> can't you call them, like, give them a name or something like that? It's just like lesbian one and when you see the name in the credits, two. you'd be like, who was, who was Nina? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know who half the names of the people were. But you were able to identify them in the credits because they're credited as lesbians. <laughs> Split the identifier. difference. Let's call it Nina the lesbian. There you go. <laughs> Well, I wanted to to start with an L also then. Okay. Lisa, Lisa the, the lesbian. <laughs> and they were and they were getting very handsy on yeah. her, like like touching her hair and her arms, but she was totally letting them do it in order to get them to to spend more money. She even lets people like put money directly into her pocket. Yeah. And then at the end of that whole uh interaction, they tell her that they're going to meet her in the parking lot. Um and she just smiles about it before inviting more people to try the game she's really proud of herself at this point though because she goes back and tells patches that she's getting a feel for it she can read people yeah and she seems just really over the moon and enthused like hey like i I, it was exciting and i found my calling yeah and i think uh she's also a little bit horny from that interaction with those two girls and it leads to her making out with patches here hey it's our girlfriend patches but patch is the guy's name but yeah, <laughs> it's like the yeah, patches. Patches a hula hand. You can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball. But yeah, they start kissing and uh, really and then, aggressive kissing, and and then doing more than kissing. Yeah, there was like some like hair grabbing that had me worried for a yeah. second. I was like, what is happening here? Are we gonna have to start yanking each other around? At the same time as this is happening in their cabin or their trailer, there's a circus patron that is being roped into losing a lot of money at a game. Basically, he misses a target once in this ball-throwing game where you knock a thing over, and then the guy running the stand says, oh, well, here, here's a free ball. Try it again. And he knocks the thing over. He's like, there, see, you did it. You won a prize. Like, hey, I have an idea. Do you want to help me, like, trick a bunch of other people into losing some money? And so the guy puts a bunch of money on the line, and the guy running the stand basically lies to him and Mm -hmm. says... Like, oh, it looks like you lost all that money. And he's like, well, hold on. You said that this was a thing that we were doing together and I was going to get a bunch of money out of it. He's like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. 
So when he gets really confrontational, the the carney pulls a gun on him from under the desk. Mm -hmm. And the guy pretends immediately that he's cool with being had. He's like, oh, (laughs) you got me. I've been had. All right. All right, guys. Come on. Let's go. And he tells all of his friends like, yeah, I just lost that money. We're just going to let it go. Um, And they all walk away together. But I knew even then, like, this is is terrible. Yeah. That's over the line. And this guy is for sure coming back. Then after we see uh, Donna and Patch making out, the guy that had the gun pulled on him comes back with a bunch more friends. And now they're literally just waiting for someone to leave a stand unattended or not even waiting for that and Mm -hmm. just jumping over the counter and pulling all the toys off the wall and just handing them out to people at the carnival. They're just trying to bankrupt this whole this whole event. They're getting more and more aggressive with it. Other people are starting to riot and uh, people are closing down their stands one by one to try and get everything closed down before things get completely out of hand. Frankie walks in on Donna and Patch to announce what's going on because it's kind of Patch's job to shut this stuff down. He's like the enforcer for the circus. We get the this cool POV shot from the zipper ride of the carnival raid going down as these people are kind of destroying the stands one by one. Frankie gets into bozo mode because he decides what he's going to do is distract them away from all the damage that they're doing by trying to piss them off from inside the cage. Well, he, he's also kind of heartbroken and angry about what's happening even though he seemed very willing like to share donna yeah earlier i didn't know if when he said our girlfriend if he necessarily meant romantically or if it was like she made coffee and food for both of us like the things that you're complaining about as girlfriendly are things that she's doing Mm -hmm. for both of us but yeah he he starts harassing these angry customers and uh, he's channeling all of his anger at Patch and Donna into these guys. And Patch keeps telling him to stop it because he's going to get killed. Um, he's driving these people into a frenzy and they're going to do more damage to the circus as a result of it. But eventually this mob of angry hicks knock over the whole dunk tank and uh, start driving their truck through the middle of the carnival. Yeah. And just through stands and over equipment. And eventually they run over on the mark. He's the guy that we earlier, yeah, uh, the that, dad that Frankie guy. had called him dad. And, uh, and, and was one day away from retirement. Yes. Actually, he was a one, one day past retirement because he said he retired a couple of days ago, but he's still here. Um, maybe they're still on their way to Gibtown. That's where he was going to hop off Gibson to Florida. So a couple of other carnies come over, including the guy that pulled the gun on them in the first place to verify that he's dead. And, and to feel super guilty about it. Because, right, but he was like, I was just trying to make some money. It's not my fault. Like, yeah. It's like, well, okay. It's, like, I, it's not your fault technically, but this wouldn't have happened if you didn't do that. Basically, once once this cage gets tipped over, I, I thought that the, the crazy guys were going to pull him out of it. But when we see him getting pulled out of it, it's Patch pulling him out of it. And then uh, they identify the body and Frankie sits with the 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 corpse for a second and then suddenly he's arguing with frankie about the cage and whose fault it is that all this stuff happened neither of them seems to be mourning him as much as i thought they would be well i think they're just they're just too angry at each other and maybe they're still like in shock about it but uh it seems like they're mostly arguing with each other and frankie's like what are you so upset about like i don't understand why you're so mad and it's like uh a friend of ours dead over there Mm -hmm. but uh, the local muscle that was trying to rip them off in the car earlier for a higher percentage of their take uh, reveals to St. John that he is friends with the, the group of men that destroyed the carnival and and killed one of their employees. And he says, so I think you're going to, you're going to take another shot at paying me what you owe me. And heavy St. John slides a box across his desk to him with money in it. And he says, that's still not enough money. And he says, you're going to make up the difference with Donna as part of the payment. Mm -hmm. That uh, my henchman character here saw Donna when he was here earlier destroying the circus. And he would like to sleep with her as as part of our payment. Here, Heavy St. John agrees to this arrangement. But then when he goes to Donna to talk about it, he says, like, I need you to do this um, so that we can avenge on the mark, basically. He doesn't specify what else he plans on doing here, but he tells her this isn't just him like letting her have sex with this guy. Well, he, I think he was going to go explain the plan to her, but when he saw she was packing up to leave, he had to kind of change his tactic up a little bit. Yeah. Like he says, yeah, I mean, you're welcome to go if you want, but this is our only chance. 
Yeah. These guys are going to... You you were the bait to get these guys to come back. Yeah. Uh, Donna goes to see this creepy hick guy that destroyed the carnival. And he pushes her into the back room of this tent and ties her down to a bed. And then he gets up on top of her on the bed and rips all of her clothes off. Or not all of them. Yeah. But a lot of them. And suddenly Patch and Frankie are in the room and show up and basically stab the guy in the chest from behind. Yeah, like... they. Patch brings the razor up to his neck, and it looks like he slides the razor across his neck, and blood comes out. Yeah. And I thought, oh, did you just kill him? Yeah. Did you just kill the guy? <laughs> and then they pull him into the shadows of this room, and we're like, oh my god, what just happened to this character? Then uh, we see the the local boss guy that, that wanted his money um, meets with uh, St. John again, and he says, hey, I hope you're taking good care of my man. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh yeah, right through this way. And then he goes into the room where the guy was supposed to be. And it's just the bed now. And we see someone sitting in it, but we can't see their face. Their face right. is obscured. And they're keeping looking away from camera. I thought this was going to be either Patch or Frankie wearing a wig. But the the guy sits down on the bed next to this character and reaches into this person's crotchal region mm-hmm. and finds more than he bargained for. Because this is the half man, half woman from the freak show. So he only finds half as much as he burned right. for. Yes. <laughs> Which half? <laughs> he gets freaked out by this uh, unexpected change of events. <laughs> and uh, he runs out of the the trailer where this is happening. But he runs headlong into Frankie outside who's like, oh, hey, why don't I take you on a tour of the whole carnival? And he's like, what? Why? What is happening? Like, yeah. I should just be angry. Take me to St. John so I can be angry and yell at him. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, cool. Well... Uh, here's where we have these rides and here's where we have these games he's like i don't, I don't know why you're showing me any of this but he takes him into this large tent the, the big top i guess for for this show um and there's a lot of freaks in there and sword swallowers and everybody's doing their best to disorient him with their weirdness um and then he walks him through the to the back room and he says hey go on in there your friend's in there and he goes into the room and there's just a headless corpse twitching twitching in a chair and he and he recognizes the clothes as the clothes that his friend was wearing when they arrived here at the carnival and the guy just freaks out and runs off and leaves the carnival Mm. it's like he's not going to leave forever he's just going to leave for today yeah this is where i texted you guys yeah Yeah, right holy fucking shit (laughs) they they cut this guy's head off (laughs) stuck him in a chair no, this is where they kind of like A-team it like yeah. a bit. It's like, uh, it's all smoke and mirrors. He's not actually dead. They just drugged him. And, you know, and they, they put d- like a fake stump on yeah. his neck and no, pulled his head back. Li- literally mirrors. They, they put like a mirror over his face. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt like, wait, so justice doesn't get served? I wanted them to kill yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No really- joke. No joke. This would be my number one movie if that was real. <laughs> this would be on the top of my letterbox list if that was real. Because I would have loved for this movie to be like, oh, it's like a slice of life Carney story, but then at the end they they do this brutal murder. Carney justice. <laughs> Carney justice. I mean, that's why I like the movie Freaks so much. Is because at the end of the movie they basically like decapitate that person. <laughs> they like they like stitch him onto a freak at the end of the movie. But yeah, it it was so horrifying, and I was like, oh my god, I cannot believe the turn this movie just took. But then. They reveal that it's all fake. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frankie says to Patch, hey, you know, I've been thinking about leaving the carnival. And I don't know. I know you don't want to come with me to do our own thing. So you stay here and you run the big one. And uh, and I'm going to go do this on my own. And then Patch says, "Nah, I'm coming with you. We're, we're going we're gonna to do good things. And uh, they walk around the carnival for a while. And Patch offers to get in the cage. And Frankie bets that he won't last very long in the cage. And that's the end of the film. But, uh. Yeah, yeah. It it, I I really needed that powerful ending to make this movie like better. I yeah. mean, it's it's still okay, um, but I really wanted that. If that was ex- the last shot of this movie, and then just, credits just, started just the rolling, head, yeah, and then the guy's freaking out and just cuts the black. Yeah, yeah, that would have been great. That, like, I'm honestly going to edit the file on my computer so that when I find this after my Alzheimer's sets in, I think that's how this movie ends. <laughs> But that's, it really would have been no joke at the top of my list if that was how this ended. Because it just looks so great. Like the the visual effect of it looks so great. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
man, what a missed opportunity. I mean, I get it that this wasn't that kind of movie. They wanted it to feel like a real... It was. It's, it's basically The Sting with Freaks. Yeah. But it just would have been amazing if they'd have decided to just end it that way. The, uh, the director and uh, his wife, who he co-wrote with, don't have a lot of other credits. Uh, Thomas Baum, who is also a credited screenwriter, um, he co-wrote The Manhattan Project with Marshall Brickman, and he had a story credit on Simon earlier this year. Gary Busey was Frankie. Uh, I think he got an Oscar nomination for Buddy Holly, the Buddy Holly story. Uh, he'll be back later this year for Foolin' Around. He was Joshua in Lethal Weapon. Uh, Drake Savage and Black Sheep, which I think was the beginning of him playing complete psychopaths. Was it the beginning? <laughs> I, I'm trying I to think of something before that where he played like a stereotypical crazy person. He's a little I, crazy here. Yeah. I didn't think he was that crazy. I thought he was charming. But um, uh, he's pretty crazy in DC Cab, even though he's he's one of the good guys. I haven't seen but, DC Cab. But he is super crazy. In Actually, that. Joshua and Lethal Weapon's pretty crazy, too. Yeah, but he's a bad guy in that. Yeah. Like. But Drake Savage is like this insane, like, military guy out in the middle of nowhere in uh, in Black Sheep, and it's a it's a great character. <laughs> what does he say? Hold your tongue, wench. <laughs> <laughs> he also played a character called Coach Red Harris on Tom Goes to the Mayor, which is when I encountered him first, <laughs> and uh, it was a very uh, very weird day at Tom Goes to the Mayor. If for those who aren't familiar, it was an old Adult Swim show that was um, it was basically like a slideshow animated like it they would take a bunch of pictures of people and apply a filter to it and then like act out a story almost like storyboards mm-hmm. but um every episode would have like a guest celebrity so like jeff goldblum would be in an episode but he would drive himself in his own car or like in a rental car because he didn't even live here and uh and gary Busey demanded a limousine that was the first step <laughs> of this story. yeah he demanded a limousine he demanded a specific brand of pineapple juice or something that had to be in the limousine and uh one of our pas had to go with the limousine because they weren't convinced that he would actually bring it to our studio Mm. um or that he would even remember how to get here or anything so the pa went with him and they knocked on the door at the time that he was supposed to get there and they're paying for this limousine by the hour right and when he knocks on the door gary Busey answers it in his underwear and invites the PA in and then goes and sits on his porch, on his back porch, and reads the newspaper for like another hour and a half before he even comes out. But eventually, he gets dressed, and he gets in the limousine, and they drive um, about halfway back to our offices when he asks for the pineapple juice, and it's like the wrong brand, even though it's not, for, it's for sure not the wrong brand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he said it was the wrong brand, and made them stop at like multiple places to find the right brand. And then he brought it all in. He finally gets to the to our studio like a few hours after he was supposed to be there. It probably cost three times more than they were intending to spend. Because we were in Hollywood and he lives in Malibu. It was not that long a drive. It yeah. shouldn't have been that long a drive. But he uh, he comes in and he tells Tim and Eric, the two guys that wrote the show, that it's like the worst writing he's ever read in his entire life. And he's not going to read anything that they wrote. And he spends hours in their office with them, lecturing them about how it should go and suggestions for the character and he he just keeps trying to change everything and then finally at the end he's like you know what i'm just gonna read it how you wrote it i'm just gonna read it right the way it is on this page and then they're like okay yeah that'd be great and he he did that and that's what ended up in the episode (laughs) but uh it was just the weirdest situation ever and he also like while he was in their office like he kept spilling his drink on the carpet and he would just put his foot on it and rub it into the carpet <laughs> instead of like oh can we get a paper towel i spilled this it was just like stepped on it and grind it into the floor but uh he's an odd duck gary Busey. he's not playing a character when you see him being crazy and stuff mm-hmm. i don't know if you ever saw the show i'm with Busey, <laughs> but uh i think it got canceled because people thought he was pretending to be crazy but he's like that all the time he also is apparently uh i didn't i, I thought he was only in the first ginger dead man movie but uh, he does mostly like super low budget horror movies now. And he wasn't in any of the sequels to Ginger Dead until the eighth one, which is called Bunker of Blood, colon, Chapter 8, colon, Butcher's Bake Off, colon, Hell's Kitchen. That's the eighth installment of the Ginger Dead Man series. 
So didn't uh, didn't he get crazy after his motorcycle accident? He was crazy before that too. Yeah, but he um, like he he landed on his skull without a helmet. Yeah, I mean, I think there's if Jake Busey is any indication, I think that there was some genetic crazy, and then there was some drugs crazy, and then there was definitely some motorcycle accident crazy. But yeah, he was like notoriously fighting legislation that was trying to make it illegal to ride without a helmet and then he flew off his motorcycle and busted it open on a curb on like pch or something like that yeah yeah, he's fractured his skull yeah and they managed to put it all back together because he didn't he didn't have a helmet on so he needed to go into surgery immediately and then he came out of the hospital immediately saying we need to make sure that helmets aren't forced on people (laughs) like he didn't change his mind at all (laughs) well he's not a flip-flopper yeah you can't say that about him jodie foster was donna here uh she's in taxi driver bugsy malone foxes before this um and after this she's in silence of the lambs contact panic room bunch of stuff uh robbie robertson was patch he was the lead guitarist and songwriter for the band this was his first of two fictional character acting credits before the crossing guard and the rest of them are all concert films for the band he reminds me of a cross between benicio del toro and like a young tim curry that was the feeling I was getting from him in terms of his look. Yeah, I guess. he. I don't feel like he has the charisma of either of those people. No. I, th- I think he has Benicio charisma. Young no. Benicio charisma. No. Not at all. In Fear and Loathing, he has that. He, he kind of reminded me of uh, Jan Michael Vincent a lot of it. No, don't say that. That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> Jan Michael Vincent sucks. Robbie Robertson was at least compelling, I thought. Meg Foster was Gerda. That's the woman running the pull the string game. Um, she plays Holly in They Live. She plays Evil Lynn in yeah. Masters of the Universe. Yep. Um, uh, she also plays a really weird character that I from a stupid movie that I love uh, called Leviathan. Not the movie that came out within the last couple of years, but yeah. a 1980s crazy genetics horror film uh, in the wake of uh, The Abyss. So after the abyss came out, like everyone was like, "We gotta do underwater movies." Yeah. Um. So, uh, Leviathan and Deep Star Six are these two crazy like underwater horror films that came out. Leviathan is about like they find this Russian sub re- underwater research facility that has this genetic material that just starts mutating the crew, oh, and it that... becomes like this Lovecraftian like monster at the end. I feel like there is a Lovecraft story about a, a submarine like that. No. Well, this might have been based on that. It's got Peter Weller. Ernie Hudson, Richard Crenna. Um, that sounds but, awesome. But, I want to watch this. Yeah, but Meg Foster plays this woman who's like, she's like the the Waylon Utani of this of the oh, okay. of the facility. She she's on the surface telling them it's gonna be all right. We're gonna get you out of there. Don't worry. And yeah, like the like the corporate ownership in Congo that are just like just do what we said. Everything's yeah, exactly. gonna be fine. She was also Hera on Hercules and Xena. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean. I, I only watched, remember one episode with Hera in it, and it was the one where she kills Hercules' family. Yeah, it, Hera was always the looming threat, but it was always like just like the peacock cry and the eyes in the sky whenever yeah. they mentioned her. Um, she also played Cagney for the first season of Cagney and Lacey, and then she got fired for being too easily mistaken for a lesbian. <laughs> what? That was, that was CBS's reasoning. <laughs> Kenneth McMillan was Heavy St. John here. Um, we just had him as Marzetti in Hide in Plain Sight. He was also somebody in uh, Little Miss Marker, the cop that was trying to find the girl. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's the Baron in Dune. Uh, Elijah Cook Jr. was On Your Mark, or Alicia. I, I'm going to assume that's pronounced Elijah. Alicia? Elisha? Elisha's not a name. It's Elijah, <laughs> right? Elijah Cook Jr. as On Your Mark. He plays Harry Jones in The Big Sleep. He was Mr. Nicholas in Rosemary's Baby, Wilmer Cook in The Maltese Falcon. Because yeah. we, had, we had him in Tom Horn. Right. Uh, but yeah, Wilmer Cook uh, is... He was the one that ran the, the where he kept his horse, right? In Tom Horn, yeah. Yeah. But uh, in The Maltese Falcon, he's uh, Sidney Greenstreet's kind of like a henchman. Oh, okay. Because Peter Lorre is trying to do his own thing, uh, and Sidney Greenstreet has this guy, this kind of enforcer guy uh, that... Humphrey Bogart keeps getting bet the best of yeah. and really embarrassing him. <laughs> he also, his last few credits were as a character, a recurring character on Magnum P.I. called Ice Pick. Woodrow Parfrey, which is a fun name, 
plays W.C. Hannon, but he plays, uh, he'll be back for Bronco Billy and used cars later this year, and he was Mr. Jaffe in Dirty Harry. Uh, Tina Andrews is Sugar, Sugaray, Sugary? Sugary. She was one of the strippers. Uh, she has a bunch of television acting credits, but she also wrote Why Do Fools Fall in Love with Halle Berry and Vivica Fox. And she had some other screenwriting credits too for TV movies. One about uh, Sally Hemings, is that right? Yes. And another one about Jackie Onassis, I think, um, that both came out in like 2000. Craig Wasson was Mickey. That was Donna's boyfriend when she got to the carnival. He plays Neil Gordon in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, he's Jake in Body Double next year. And later this year, he will be back for Schizoid. Uh, I don't know who Flame was in this movie. But I imagine he's the guy, the fire eater. Oh, maybe. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing. That's possible. Uh, the actor's name is Jordan Kale, and he plays a juror in Philadelphia and a hostage in Quick Change. Oh, then uh, probably not him. <laughs> well, there was that one hostage that's always eating fire. But uh, the fire eater was a, was a little person. So yeah. I, I don't think that that's who... You can't have a little hostage? Well, you can, but I don't think there was one in the movie. <laughs> Uh, Fred Ward was Jack. Uh, Fred Ward is great. Yeah. He was in Tremors, The Right Stuff. He's Joe Dirt's dad. <laughs> um, he played Henry in Henry and June. And he was Remo Williams in the long series of Remo Williams films. Yeah. That started and ended with Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be like the American James Bond. Yeah. Uh, I think I will always, my always go to was going to be Tremors. Yeah uh for fred ward yeah i do like joe dirt's dad though um it's a funny character and that scene is great when they go back to <laughs> he goes to interview them on tv and he realizes that they left him there on purpose but that's everything i had for this well, one you guys... uh, i wanted to uh mention two people just because of their names are amazing yeah uh they're credited as tough three and tough two okay but the first guy's name is jack howard kitchens jr beautiful and the second is charles christian levi senior seems like they made those names up on set yeah <laughs> uh i was like those are two amazing names uh i wanted to, to also mention that the music is by alex north he uh is a 15 time oscar nominee <laughs> really uh he won for let's see uh, well, he won an honorary Oscar uh, in 86. So I guess he's never won an actual... No offense. No, you never Whoa. won a real Oscar, No, Alex. honorary <laughs> counts. Uh, he was uh, nominated for musical scores for things like Streetcar Named Desire, uh, uh, Rainmaker, Spartacus, Cleopatra, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, Dragon Slayer in 81, which I mentioned uh, previously. Uh, so, he, you know, he was no slouch. Uh, I didn't think the score was anything too crazy in this and i thought uh, for the most part it was fine but i th i think it it fits that opening scene wrong because it's setting you up for like a psychological horror movie yeah which and is it not is what not. this is it uh, almost was <laughs> but then it wasn't but i just thought it was interesting that the 15 15 oscar nominations that's impressive good work alex north that's what you said his name was yeah right. all right jess up or down uh you know it wasn't terrible, but I don't know that I would uh, tell anybody to go out of their way to watch it. All right. So I guess it's a down. Richard? Uh, I'm going to give it up. Uh, it it falls flat for me, uh, but I was pretty invested in the simple story of it all. Um, I think I was reading like some reviews about it. I know. I don't think I was reading. I was reading some reviews about it. I don't know why I phrased it that way. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I think therefore I am. You can only be sure that you exist. Yeah. Uh, I think Roger Ebert was the one who I was trying to say it was the review who, who I read that said it seems like it's almost like a documentary. Or that there's a documentary hiding in the story. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That that it's like all these. It seems like there's a whole bunch of carny lore of oh the the stuff about having to pay people off or the about grifting people and about people who get killed or the way they have weddings and get married and all their little clicky kind of things that they do yeah uh so i found that kind of interesting uh, just 
yeah, it wasn't all there, but I'll still give it an up. Yeah, um, I love carnival stuff. Um, I feel like if I grew up in like the 50s or 60s, I would have run away to one because it just seems like an awesome thing. And I, I always love the the very tight family structure that forms in, in movies about carnival uh, carnival people, carny folk. But this is a down for me just because they showed me something that could have been amazing and then they they took a couple they steps took back. it away <laughs> they, yeah i i think i would have approved of this movie more two ways one they leave the guy's head off <laughs> or two they just show him stabbed on the ground like that's i just needed that guy to die and if that guy didn't die for killing someone else, killing one of their friends. If the only punishment that he gets for killing one of their friends is to fall asleep for a second and scare someone else, yeah, then that's not enough for me. I wanted this guy to be dead. Well, also, I don't think it's enough to accomplish what they want to accomplish because next year when they come back to this town, that dude's just going to be pissed. Yeah. Well, he might not even wait till next year. Uh, he might send people after them like, immediately. Yeah, as soon as the boss guy finds out that his henchman's still alive and finds out what they did to him he's gonna be more mad than ever yeah so i i think it's a down for me just because i thought for a second this was the best movie of the year and then they were like just kidding <laughs> richard what do you think letterboxd um i'm going to put this uh just above fame but just below f- folks just above fame and below folks got it so jess. mine so mine. sorry jess go ahead <laughs> Go ahead, Jess. Where where do you put it on Letterboxd? So for mine, uh, I have it in a similar position. It's, it's a few above fame for me, but uh, I have it between uh, Simon and uh, Tom Horn. Simon and Tom Horn. Okay. That makes sense. Same writer as uh, Simon and some cast from Tom Horn. Yeah. There you it's go. right in there. I think for me... This might go also between fame and folks. I think it does. So that's where I put it. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Die Laughing, which IMDB summarizes thusly. A San Francisco cab driver finds himself in possession of a monkey that is carrying a formula for turning atomic waste into a plutonium bomb. He finds himself framed for murder and chased all over town by people trying to get the formula. We leave you now with a trailer for die laughing. Let's go, Lloyd! One, two, one, two, one, two, three, four! If you know what winning that contest means to me and my friends, five years we've been playing 15 bucks a night club dates in places like Modesto and Redwood City. And you really think you have a chance to win? We're gonna be up there on that stage in the finals. Pinsky, Daniel. Height, six feet. Weight, 150 pounds. Occupation, part-time in a cab. Sorry. Part-time on a stage. Love is why I live. Full-time, on the run. Hey! What's the matter with you, man? You sick? He's wanted. Count of five, Pinsky! Wanted by the police for 78 parking tickets. And three murders. I just never had a chance to clear myself. Now I'm a murderer on the front page. Morning. Wanted by a girl named Amy. That's your good, huh? Forever. Fine, Pinsky. Pursued by just about everyone for a monkey. <laughs> get off me! Get off me! Get it! Everybody's killing each other for a monkey? Precisely. One of our men is missing in action. Pinsky's out there somewhere in no man's land. Cut off from his outfit. Look for Pinsky over hill, over dale, over every dusty trail. The halls of the cow palace to the shores of Sausalito. 
Men, find them. Who are you? What is this place? Who are those goons out there? Why can't I go? What's going on here? picture that shows the world how to succeed in rock and roll without really dying what does anything 